Welcome to the Air Health, Our Health podcast. I'm Erica, a lung and ICU doctor. Every day in my ICU and clinic, I see patients who are there from breathing unhealthy air. And I started Air Health, Our Health to focus more upstream on the importance of healthy air for healthy people and healthy economies. Thanks for joining me. It has now been a year since I launched Air Health, Our Health, and I wanted to take some time today to reflect on its first season and ask for input. What a year. (laughs) It really hit me back in March when I realized it was the anniversary of our first COVID-19 patient in my hospital. I started this entire podcast out of concern that those of us who practice in the lung clinic and intensive care unit would find ourselves only able to practice critical care medicine due to the horrifying images we were seeing from around the world. It has long been a growing concern of mine that enough doctors weren't speaking up about the importance of clean air for preventing people ending up in the ICU, and now something carried through the air was pushing even more people into critical illness. There was already a shortage of both lung and ICU doctors before this pandemic, and wait times to get into seeing lung doctors were long already. Prior to the pandemic, I was already seeing the deadly toll every day of tobacco, air pollution, and climate change on health, and did not understand how adding this pandemic on top of a nearly overwhelmed system would be possible. And we have seen in many ways that our healthcare system has been strained and broken by this pandemic, with many parts of our country coming to collapse or near collapse. I worried that access to lung doctors would drop to near nothing, and this project might help people be more aware of the risks of the air they breathed and try to keep people healthy. It's hard to believe that it's already been 12 months since my first episode with Dr. Matt Drake about the airways and air pollution. It simultaneously feels immensely long ago, and like it was only yesterday, that what I know of medicine has changed forever and that nothing has changed. This year has been one of unrelenting tragedy. I don't know any of us who have escaped unscathed. I had to engage in horrifying conversations to determine how we might ethically ration ventilators and ICU care as a state if our worst case scenarios were realized. I did my best to advocate for people to have important decisions about how much life support they would be willing to undergo and for how long, especially in the heartbreaking situation with COVID-19 when family members could not be present in the ICU. I worked with a team of doctors across the region to develop a system to share critical care burdens across hospitals in times of surge. Despite all of this, I have lost count of the number of my patients who have died from COVID-19. I've had to agonize with my obstetrical colleagues about whether to lay intubated pregnant women on their stomach when they are suffering from this virus. I am still haunted by the grief-stricken wails of family members losing someone in my ICU to this disease and not having had enough time to say goodbye or having to bid farewell in groups from a parking lot. To be honest, I have also feared for myself and what I might bring home to my family. Professors who taught me died of COVID-19 this year. When I or my colleagues intubate a patient, we stand directly over their mouth and insert a breathing tube into their lungs. I often breathed a silent prayer that the paper shield I had been using for months, designed to be used once and discarded, was up to the task as it was getting slightly looser under my chin. The toll on mental health has been severe. We have lost colleagues to suicide. We have watched political leaders who claim to believe life is sacred, unwilling to wear a mask to save lives, and peddling remedies without scientific support or even with evidence of harm. Early on, we saw federal government unwilling to use its powers to coordinate the American manufacturing sector to get us badly needed PPE and equipment, leading to costly and wasteful bidding wars among states. Finally, I've been heartbroken by my fellow citizens who so often when asked to come together to save lives, wear masks, stay home and distance, chose bars and partying. <laughs> it didn't stop any of them from also ending up in the ICU or having family members berate exhausted ICU nurses about visitor restrictions designed to save lives. I have had people sneer at me for advocating widespread vaccination and it is exhausting. But this year has also been one with hope and beauty I have been so proud of the rapid way we have rolled out trials, adjusted our therapies, and improved our care of COVID-19 patients with a sharing of expertise and data around the globe. This pandemic has certainly brought me new knowledge and new ways of practicing medicine. I have treated patients with profound hypoxia by avoiding intubation and those I would have previously intubated, having them lie on their tummies for hours while awake and more. I worked in our hospital system to roll out a hood oxygenation program for our ICUs, 
a device that has been used for a long time in Northern Italy, but never by me or many others in the US. I have certainly learned and grown as a doctor this year, as have many of us in medicine. We have watched amazing science unfold in front of us at a dizzying speed, paying off in a big way the decades of public funding of science and research. I know I am not alone in having felt an upwelling of awe, gratitude, and joy when I received my first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine in January, followed by a pretty sore arm. However, some of the new data has only reinforced what we have known for a very long time, emphasizing the importance of maintaining focus on sound public health and prevention strategies, despite the chaos of the pandemic. If you listen to this podcast, two that I focus on often are the toll of tobacco and air pollution. Both of these run afoul of my general medical advice, don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs. Sometimes in the stress of a pandemic, working to save the life of the person dying in front of us, we forget to focus upstream on the funnel that may be sending more patients our way. Tobacco and air pollution kill every day. But in addition to data suggesting we should not use hydroxychloroquine and should use dexamethasone, we need to pay attention to the studies telling us that COVID-19 and combustion are a bad combination. Over 560,000 people in the U.S. have lost their lives to COVID-19, which is surely a severe tragedy, requiring urgent action from all of us. Around 480,000 people lose their lives every year to tobacco. The acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, the dreaded fulminant lung damage seen in COVID-19, is more common in people who smoke. The lungs of smokers seem to be more leaky and prone to flooding when confronted with severe illness. Sure enough, despite misleading early attempts by big tobacco to suggest that smoking was not a risk factor for COVID-19, studies have shown us that COVID-19 progresses more severely in patients who smoke. In a similar way, we know that there can be deadly interactions with air pollution and viral infections. Combustion engines and power plants give off a whole range of particulate matter, which is toxic to human health. In particular, very tiny particles, a fraction of the size of a human hair called PM2.5. This damages blood vessels directly, and in a virus that itself causes blood vessel damage and clotting, it is unsurprising that a severe and lethal interaction with COVID-19 has also been found. Around 17% of COVID-19 mortality in the U.S. is due to its interaction with PM2.5. With today's death toll, that would be around 97,000 people, and likely more by the time you listen to this. On the last podcast, you also heard from Asia Allen, who grew up around a great deal of construction, which is often accompanied by significant diesel exposure. And we know that living in an area of high construction sites is also associated with increased risk of the acute respiratory distress syndrome. I imagine in a similar way that smoking and PM2.5 exposure are linked. Learning about new treatments for COVID-19 in the ICU is certainly exciting. And of course, I am following news on vaccine effectiveness, new therapies, and new mutations with hope, interest, and fear, along with the rest of my ICU colleagues. But we also need to keep our gaze upstream at preventing patients from needing us in the first place. Fighting COVID-19 and decreasing its toll does not just rely on wearing masks, washing hands, vaccinations, and giving each other space. It is also important to reach out to people addicted to tobacco and provide resources for them to break free of smoking by adequately funding cessation programs and developing sound tobacco policy. In addition to being an ICU doctor, I am also the mother of three young children. I suffer no illusion that having me as a mother will protect my children from the tried and true business model of big tobacco, skirting and flirting with regulators and regulations, misleading consumers, obfuscating science and bribing scientists, engaging in whataboutism, all with a single-minded goal of addicting children to develop lifelong clients. Decreasing the burden of combustion material, whether from a cigarette, a power plant, or an engine, will not only pay off now in reducing COVID-19, but also in future pandemics and in reaping the healthcare benefits of decreasing the constant toll of tobacco and air pollution in our communities. As people who want to do all we can to bring an end to this pandemic and build healthier futures for our loved ones, we should make sure to reach out to our local city council, county, and other elected officials to take fuel away from COVID-19 by advocating for clean air. I want to thank you for listening to the first season of this podcast and learning more about the importance of clean air. I would love to hear from you about your thoughts on what you have heard this year, as well as what you hope to hear about or learn about in the future. Please feel free to reach out to me to tell me where you are listening from and what has been important to you, as well as future topics of interest for season two, which will begin in the fall. 
As always, you can find more information on the website. In terms of things to do over the summer while you're waiting for season two, first catch up on episodes you missed and please like the podcast, leave a review and share with family and friends to spread the word about the importance of clean air. Second, enjoy your summer. <laughs> take a moment of mindfulness and gratitude whenever you are breathing healthy air. We too often take it for granted. Third, if you or someone you love in your life smokes, make this the summer you quit or help them break free of big tobacco. Finally, send me a message to the site, record your thoughts or a question on the Anchor app or follow on Instagram or Facebook. Thank you. And you'll be hearing from me in the fall for the start of season two. Thanks for joining me today. I am a full-time physician and not an epidemiologist or public health expert. This podcast is for your education and entertainment, but should not be interpreted as individual medical advice. Please consult with your own healthcare team to determine what is right for your health. Thank you and stay safe. We're coming to the end of the podcast. For more information about the importance of healthy air, please visit airhealthourhealth.org and follow on Instagram and Facebook. Remember, if you do nothing else, don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs. This applies to tobacco, diesel fuel, forests, and more.